Well, if you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn in it to Psalm chapter 1, or you can turn in the Bible uh, that is in front of you. It's on page 448. Psalm 1 is uh, something that I go to at the beginning of every single year. It's a psalm, the first psalm that I had ever memorized. Um, and it is, a, it is really a psalm that, that I, I, I like to meditate upon to set a trajectory of my heart and the trajectory of my life for a new year because it talks about two different paths of, of life. And it's, it's interesting on a Sunday like this morning because we have two real themes converging today. Uh, first of all, this is the Sunday of Epiphany. Epiphany in the church calendar is on Thursday. Epiphany refers to the appearing of God to the Gentiles. The epiphany in the Bible is the story of the Magi uh, in the east seeing the star. Everybody thinks that this happened at Christmas. It didn't happen at Christmas. It happened after Christmas. I don't want to wreck your manger scenes or anything like that, but that's when it happened. Uh, They saw the star and they journeyed. Uh, to see what that star was pointing to, and it was pointing to Jesus Christ. And it was symbolic. What God was saying is that Jesus is not only here for the Jews, he's not only here for Israel, Jesus is here for the entire world. He's appeared to the nations. But of course, this is also the first Sunday in the beginning of a new year where we're all, no matter what's happened in this year, these last couple of years have been challenging for everybody, uh, and they just have. And I think that there is something good about coming uh, to a psalm like Psalm 1, which is a wisdom psalm, which is presenting to us paths of life, paths to walk upon, and the consequences for those paths. So join me now as I read to you from Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Oh God, I pray that you would, by your grace, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and hearts that are malleable to you and to the work of your spirit this morning. Teach us the ways of your wisdom. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you ever took, and you did at some point, I'm sure, take a, 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 an English class or a literature class of some point, and you're probably familiar with that most famous of poems of Robert Frost, my entire life I thought that the title of this famous poem from Robert Frost was The Road Less Taken or The Road Less Traveled. But did you know, I only recently found out that that is not the name of that poem. The name of that poem is The Road Not Taken. Uh, The Road Not Taken. And this is what Robert Frost writes in that poem, The Road Not Taken. 
Two roads diverged in a yellow wood and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then, then took the other as just as fair and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for that the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Now my entire life, I really thought that this poem was a celebration of nonconformity, right? Robert Frost had seen these two paths in the wood and everybody was zigging and he was going to zag, right? Everybody was going this way. The herd was going this way, but he was going to be his own man and he was going to go the other way and he was going to find the pot of gold at the end of that rainbow and everybody else was going to live lives of like mediocre, mediocre conformity, but he was going to thrive and live his best life taking the other path. But... I'm not really sure that that's what that means because there's also a sense of melancholy to this poem. There's a, there's a not, not necessarily a despair, but a melancholy. And it is interesting to note that Robert Frost, even though his editor consistently and constantly wanted him to change the title of this poem, he refused. And he adamantly stuck to his guns that the name of this poem was The Road Not Taken. What's that about? What's that about? Is he, is he looking back on the course of his life with celebration at taking the road that was traveled less or with sadness on not taking the other road? Does he wonder what his life would have been like had he gone another way? Is that why he says that one day I'm going to tell this story with a sigh? In the end, it's ambiguous. We don't know exactly what Robert Frost uh, is, 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 is saying about the course of his life. But it is interesting to note that he presents these roads as roads of consequence. There are these two roads, and whichever one you take, they're going to be consequential. It's, it's, it's going to have meaning in your life. And that is exactly what Psalm 1 tells us. Because here in Psalm 1, the Bible lays out for us two ways to live. Not one way to live, not Five ways to live, not 10,000 ways to live. Two essential ways to live. There is the way of the righteous and there is the way of the wicked. The way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. And it's important to understand here at the very beginning, I wanna, get, I want, I wanna be really clear about this. This is not a psalm that talks about good people and bad people. This is not a psalm that talks about nice people and mean people. 
This is not a psalm that, 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 that talks about polite people and rude people. This is a psalm that talks about righteousness and wickedness, and those are biblical categories. We know that this cannot simply be a psalm talking about being a good person, living a good life, because the scripture is consistent and constant in telling us that there is no one who does good. No, not one. There's no one who on his own seeks God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the righteous person is not a good person. The righteous person is one who has experienced the redeeming grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the operative part because sometimes we want to just stop there. But the Bible doesn't stop there. The Bible keeps going. The righteous person leans into the grace of God in his or her life. The righteous person walks in that grace lives into the grace of God that is given freely through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why the words walk and way are used so often in Psalm chapter 1. So the central question I want us to ask this morning and hopefully come up with some answers to is this. What does it mean to walk in the way of the blessed? What does it mean to live into that grace in the way of of the blessed. I think through this psalm we can see three things. That the blessed person loves the word of God. The blessed person loves the word of God. And the blessed person bears the fruit of God. And the blessed person receives the inheritance of God. So the blessed person loves God's word, bears God's fruit, and receives God's inheritance. Now, another thing that we've got to get really clear on this morning is the definition of the word blessed, because we all have a definition of that word in our heads, and I think if we don't get on the same page, we're going to crisscross, we're going to be ships passing in the night here, because in our popular jargon, in our popular vocabulary, to be blessed basically means that we got what we wanted. We received something that we wanted, and we are therefore blessed. I don't know if hashtags are still a thing. Are hashtags still a thing, like if you're under 30? I don't know. Hashtags used to be a thing. And, and, and the, the, the most famous of all hashtags, when hashtags were awesome, was you know the, the famous hashtag blessed, right? Hashtag blessed. I got a new truck for Christmas. Big bow on it and everything. Hashtag blessed. I signed my new contract with the Texans. Hashtag blessed. Well, that's not exactly what it means. I mean, obviously, good things that come from God are blessings of God. But in the, in the Bible, blessing means much more than that. It's much more than the things that you receive, the temporal things that you receive on this earth. Biblically speaking, to be blessed by God means to have total and complete fulfillment in your inmost being. The operative part of this is that it, that that is the case no matter what your outward circumstances are. That's a whole different ball game. It's a beautiful way to live. It's a way to live where you're not tossed to and fro by by your circumstances, by you know each day, by each job prospect, by each interview, by you know each phone call, by all of those kinds of things. It's a beautiful way to live, but as Psalm 1 points out, it is also constantly under attack by this world. And so we have to ask, what does it mean to live in the way of the blessed? Well, first, the blessed person loves God's word. 
The blessed person loves God's word. In Psalm 1, this means that you love the instruction of the Lord as it is contrasted to the false wisdom of the world. So let's first look at the false wisdom of the world. Psalm 1 uses a poetic device that you'll see if you pay attention to it all over the place in the Psalter. It's called parallelism. Basically, it is repeating words or phrases. But in the case of Psalm 1, 1 and 2, it's repeating a phrase but heightening it. Actually, in this case, uh, further declensioning it. That's not a word, declensioning, but um, you know what I mean. Declining, declension. It gets worse is what I'm trying to say. Um, and what gets worse is the path of false worldly wisdom. Look at verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. There's your parallelism. Uh, uh, wicked sinners, scoffers. But notice the path of that person. First they walk. You're just walking down the path and you hear some people, you know, that are, you know, think, talking evil things, that are saying things that are not true, and you're not really with them, you're just kind of on the same, you're, but you're listening, right? You're, you're walking down the path with them, you're listening to those things that are not true, you're walking in the counsel of the wicked, but then you stop. You stand in the way of sinners. And that does not mean something heroic, like you're sinning and I'm going to stand in your way. That's not what it means. The way is the road. So you're just standing in the road with them. You know, you're, so you're now in their circle, right? You've, 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 you've entered into their circle. Hey, guys, what are you talking about? You're standing in the way of sinners. You join their circle. You begin to take seriously that conversation. You begin to take seriously what is not true and what is in fact harmful and hurtful to you and to other people. And then finally, you sit in the seat of scoffers. You arrive at settled conclusion at things that are not true and are contrary to God's word. Think about sitting in the ancient Near East. Sitting in the ancient Near East signifies two things. First, it signifies the completion of a task. We know this most pointedly from the work of Jesus, who on the cross said, it is finished. And we confess, when we confess the Apostles' Creed, that Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father. His sitting at the right hand of God signifies that his work of redemption is finished, it is completed. There's no more work for him to do for you to be saved. And so he sits. But sitting is also the place of authority in the Bible. The, the leaders of the synagogues in, uh, in, in Israel, when they would teach authoritatively on the scriptures, they would sit to do that. It was signifying that they were authorities on God's word. And so now you sit. You, you, you are settled in your conclusion that God is not real, that God cannot be trusted, that God is not true. And you, you, you arrive at it as a settled conclusion, even to the point where you can instruct other people in it. Now this false wisdom is contrasted with the word law in verse 2, which is better translated as instruction. The instruction of God is his vision for the world and how it works. I mean, it's a very simple uh, proposition, it, it takes faith to believe it and to own it, that God is the creator of the world. He's the creator of all things. He knows how it runs. 
He knows how it works. And wisdom, wisdom is living in our lives in light of God's truth. It's the art of biblical living. That's what wisdom is. The instruction of the Lord is his vision for the world and how it works. And so false wisdom is opposed to God and his vision for the world. It's contrary to his vision for the world and how it works. And the longer that you walk in it, the longer that you stand in it, the longer that you sit in it, the more opposed you become to what is actually true. Now, I don't want to politicize this because truth and falsehood is a biblical category, not a political one. But living in this world that we live in right now is as it has always been. It is difficult to be a follower of Jesus and to live consistently in his truth. Why? Because we are constantly surrounded by and soaked in and steeped in the wisdom of the world. And all sides, that is what is coming at us. What is the good life? What is life all about? What are we supposed to be doing as human beings in this world? Well, our culture tells us that you find what is true for you and you live into it. You find what is true for you and you express it. And you never allow anyone to challenge you or to call into question those things. The meaning of life is to find your truth, to live it, and to express it. But there's a question there. And the question is, is that true? Is that really, really true? And there's a further question there. How would you know? How would you even know if something is true or false, is good or or, or, or not, is, is beautiful or ugly? How would you even know? Well, Psalm 1 speaks to that because the alternative to the wisdom of the world is the instruction of the Lord. For centuries, the church has used the Psalms as both the prayer book of the church and the hymn book of the church. And that's because the Psalms tell the truth about the world. They tell the truth about God. They tell the truth about human beings. They spare no, pull no punches about, about who we are and tells the truth about what it means to live in God's world. The Bible calls all of this instruction in verse 2, Torah. Torah, which means all of the instructions that God has given to us in the Bible. And in contrast to purposely meandering through the wisdom of the world, what we're called to do, and this kind of fall into falsehood, we're actually called to delight ourselves in the instruction of the Lord. That's the word that he uses in verse 2, to delight ourselves in his instruction. Think about that word for a second. Think about what it is that you delight in. Maybe you have a vacation, a place that your family always goes to the vacation and, and has for, for many years. And it's the place that everybody gathers together. And it's just a place that you love. And you delight in that place. And you look forward to it. You long for it. You, oh, when can we go there again? Maybe you delight in Christmas morning. Maybe here on January 2nd, you're already looking forward to, to something that you delight in. Another morning to be gathered together with your families and your friends celebrating. Maybe you delight in beautiful art. Maybe you are an artist or you're one who just loves beautiful art. Or you delight, you find your, you just, just great delight in beautiful music or a good meal. These are things that we talk about with that language of both delight and desire. 
Because what is it that we desire? Those are the things that we desire. We long for those things. When we're not on vacation at this special place with our family, we long to be there. When it's not Christmas morning, we long for it to come. When we know we have a reservation at a, at a restaurant with wonderful creative food, we, we, we look forward to that. We long for that time to arrive. Do we think about God's word the same way? Do we think about God's word the same way that we long for an amazing meal at one of Houston's finest restaurants? Children, students, I want to kind of talk to you for just a second this morning because this is really important for you. Psalm 1 is super important for you Um, because like the rest of us, you are soaked and steeped every day in messages that would lead you away from what the Bible presents as true. It's coming at you from all sides, all the time, you know, kind of everywhere. You just live in it, and you can't get away from it no matter what it is that you want to do. We have all kinds of things, uh, messages that come at you that tell you what a life worth living is, what a good life is. A good life is making straight A's, and if you make that B, your good life is not as it should be, or the the good life consists in being the, the best player on the varsity team, or the good life consists in having the most friends. doesn't matter what you have to do to gain those friends, but if you have the most, then you are worthy or you are worthwhile. Or the good life consists in presenting perfection, no matter how you feel inside, if you can present something amazing, uh, you know, kind of in your cultivated social media world, then you feel okay. Or you could reject all of those things and say the good life consists in being above all of that, being above caring about anything, caring about nothing. That's what it means, you know, to live life in this world. But here's something that I can actually promise you. And I, and I say that with all seriousness. I don't say that lightly. I can promise you that without the continued presence of God's word in your life, you will, in one or more areas of your life, move from walking, just listening to things that aren't true, to standing in it, engaging it, really, you know, I mean, you know, really digging into it, to finally sitting in it, settling in it as settled conclusion in your life, so much so that you're able to instruct others in the ways of falsehood as well. You know, um, there's a lot of ways that those things come to us. You know, what, 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 what Psalm 1 is really saying is that every human being is being formed. We're all being shaped. Our hearts are being formed and shaped. The question is, what are we being formed and shaped by? If your heart and your life is being shaped the majority of the time, through social media, through Instagram or TikTok, you are, you are essentially, what you are doing is you are subjecting yourself to the authority of strangers and giving them authority over your life and your heart and telling you what is good and what is right and what is beautiful. I'm not saying those things are bad. I'm just saying that, that is the, if, that is, um, if that is the molder of your heart, 
You're giving great power to those things. It happens to adults too. Maybe you've got a, you're a, a favorite you know, pundit that you follow on Twitter or somebody that you follow on cable news. If that's, the, if that's where you're constantly soaking, if that's the authority in your life, your heart is being shaped there too. The scriptures tell us, Psalm 1 tells us that there's something better than that. Something better to delight in, and it is the instruction of the Lord. That's why I want to encourage you. I'm going to encourage all of us. I'm going to encourage me. It's a great slogan. Make 2022 the year of the Bible. Very easy to remember. The year of the Bible. Reading and soaking in the scriptures. Being formed by God's word. By the instruction manual of the one who created you and created the world. It's hard work, I know. I actually, I, I trust me, I know that. But, but in the end, it is one of the greatest gifts that God has given to us. Because you have to ask the question, how do we know what is right? How do we know what is true? How do we know what is good? How do we know what is beautiful? God tells us. He tells us in his word. So the blessed person loves God's word. The blessed person also bears God's fruit. Here again is a contrast. The one who delights himself or herself in the instruction of the Lord is grounded, is rooted. By using the image of a tree planted by streams of water in verse 3, the psalmist is conjuring up an image of a person who is stable and stabilized who is not moving, who is not being blown around by the constantly changing messages of our world and our culture about what is good and what is right and what is true. That person bears fruit. Now think for a second about a tree. A tree is not a pipe. A tree takes water in, but it's not a conduit. You know, a pipe has water coming in on one side and water going out the other. The tree takes in water but it does not bear forth water. A tree takes that water, takes that nourishment that comes in through its roots and through its souls, through its uh, roots. I was going to say soul. I don't, the trees don't have, so that would be completely different from the whole message of this sermon. So scratch that. Takes, takes, it takes in water from its roots, and that, roots, that, that, that water nourishes it to bring forth something beautiful, the fruit that is in keeping with what that tree is, a healthy fruit. Now the contrast is one whose delight is not in the Lord, but in the false wisdom of the world, and that person is fleeting. Now the image that the psalm uses here is that of wheat and chaff. And, and the, the way that farmers basically separated the grain, the things that were good, the things they could make stuff out of, from the things that were useless, which they call chaff, is that they would take the wheat that they picked, they would put it on the ground, and they would just beat the tar out of it, just beat it up. And then once it was beaten to a pulp, they would take a big shovel or some kind of flat device and they would, th in a windy place with a cross breeze, they would throw it up in the air. And this is what would happen. The seeds, which are the good part, the, the wheat was heavy. It was weighty. It fell to the ground. The chaff, which surrounded the seeds, was the husk. It had very little substance to it. It was lighter than the air, and it would be blown away by the wind. And so separating wheat from chaff is just throwing both of those things up in the air, and what has substance to it, what has weight to it, falls back down, and what does not blows away in the wind. And so to delight in the law of the Lord produces a person of substance, a person of weight, 
someone who's grounded, but to wander in the way of false wisdom produces an empty human, a hollow human, one who is blown around by whatever winds of the world and is never grounded in what is good and true and is delightful to the Lord. So we see that to be blessed means to bear God's fruit through the nourishment of his word by his grace. And finally, we see that the blessed person receives God's inheritance. Verse five begins with an important word in the Bible. If you've been at Christ the King for any length of time, you'll know that this is my very favorite biblical word. That word is therefore, therefore in verse five. And you know the mantra that whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you have to ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore? So what, basically what, this, what the, the psalmist is saying is that what he's about to conclude follows upon what he's already written before. And it points to the future inheritance of the righteous and the wicked. The one who loves truth versus the one who loves false wisdom. The one who bears fruit versus the one who is without substance and being blown around by the wind. And the first inheritance is destruction. Verse 5 is really amazing poetry because it brings uh, us back to the beginning of the psalm, talking about the wicked standing in the judgment or sinners standing or sitting in the congregation of the righteous. So in verse 1, the wicked walk, stand, and sit in lies. Now the consequence is that they will not walk, stand, or sit in ultimate truth, in eternal truth. And ultimately, as verse 6 teaches that path, the path of walking away from God's truth and from God himself as he presents himself to us through the scriptures, particularly in the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, that path ends in destruction. And note the future tense here because this is important because the most understandable objection to Psalm 1 is this. Wait a minute. I see people all the time who are atheists or not Christians, they're of another you know, world religion and they're thriving in this world. They have everything that they could possibly want. They have a, they have a beautiful spouse, they have 2.3 well-behaved children, they have an obedient dog that doesn't shed. I mean, what more could they want? They, I want their life, I see it and that's what I long for. But that's where you see the future tense of Psalm 1 is important because what the Bible constantly reminds us of is that vision of the good life or the vision of the difficult life that we live on this earth right now that both in light of eternity are blink of an eye. They're a whisper. They're a rushing wind that blows past. And so that it is a mystery that only God can ultimately answer or why those who are set against him thrive in this world. But the ultimate destiny is not a mystery. Those who mock God to the day of their death, those who listen to and then instruct others in the lives of the world, those who ultimately, fully, and finally reject God by ultimately, fully, and finally finally rejecting his son, Jesus Christ. That way ends in perishing. What looks and seems so wonderful and so satisfying won't last. And this life will seem 
like the blink of an eye in comparison to all eternity. But the inheritance of God's people is life with God. The psalmist purposely uses a a powerful word in verse 6 that tells you who you are if you belong to him. And it is that God knows you. He knows you. He knows you first and foremost through his son, Jesus Christ, who is himself the wisdom of God and the power of God. He's the provision to bring you out of the counsel of the wicked, out of the way of sinners, out of the seat of scoffers, and into the delight of God and his instruction. The life of wisdom begins and ends with life in and through Jesus Christ. And such is your future inheritance by faith in him. No matter what loneliness you feel on earth right now, it will be forgotten in an eternity with Jesus. No matter what fears you face right now, they will peril in comparison to an eternal security with God. No matter how much right now you struggle and are frustrated deeply with things in this world not working just not working in your life you have an eternity of blessed living ahead of you with God and the other side of that coin is also true maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself you know I think I might be one of those people who is standing in the way of sinners or sitting in the seat of scoffers I I might be one of those people that that doesn't cherish and believe in, in, in God and, and who doesn't receive and accept the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm, I wonder if that is true. I wonder if the path that I'm going on is a, is a path of falsehood. I wonder if all this is, is going to fall apart you know, at some point. Well, there is very, very, very great news for you. And it is that God's specialty is taking people who walk in the counsel of the wicked who stand in the way of sinners, who actually even sit in the seat of scoffers and transforming them into one who delights in his love and in his truth. I know that to be true. Do you know how I know that to be true? Because it did it to me. Me, the worst of sinners. Me, who was dead in my sins, who was made alive by Christ. He did that to me. And he can do it to you as well. Come to him by faith. Lean into that grace. Live into it as he works in you. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you delight to rescue sinners like me. Thank you that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And thank you that Father, You have rescued and will rescue all who come to you by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, this is a new year. Each day brings its own challenges. Each year brings its own difficulties. Help us, Father, to be rooted in you by standing by streams of water, bearing fruit in its season because of your work in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.